privilege to study your word. Please teach us. Lord, may you be glorified in all that we do. May your people be edified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let me just read a little bit of this. This is part two of our, our lesson from last week, and we will um, just take a look at it. It says in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, it says, Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. I'm noticing the absence of the word please there. But the Lord answered in verse 41 and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. I'm going to read that last verse and a couple other translations to give you some additional insight. The New Living says, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. The King James Version says in verse 41 and 42, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. And Mary had chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I'm going to read it one more time, those last two verses from the English Standard Version. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. All right. So I want to give you, I want to give you just three, maybe four walking points. Now in your notes, in your notes, you have some walking points. And I added those because I, didn't, I knew I wouldn't have enough time to maybe develop all of them. So I wanted to give you a couple freebies in the notes. And since they're in the notes, I probably won't talk about them, but I wanted you to have those walking points. Let me explain what a walking point is. You know when you hear on the news, uh, you'll hear people give what are essentially called sound bites or talking points. They'll have like a list of things. If you're giving a speech, you might have some key talking points that you want to hit. So talking points is just key little items in your speech that you want to share. Sound bites, quick and simple, pithy little notes that you want to make sure you say. A walking point it's a little different. A walking point is something that we want to live out. We want to walk this out. We don't want to be talking about it only because James says that talk is cheap, essentially. He says that, you know, it's not about what we, it's not about just the words, but it's also about the deeds, right? 
James 1.22 in particular. So a walking point is something that we want to live. We want to exercise this daily, all right? So that's the walking points. So walking point number one is, in verse 40, Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to do all of the serving? So walking point number one for us this week, starting the week of October 8th, the week of October 8th, let's do this. Never assume your own greatness. Never believe that you are as great and as critical and as important as you think you are. Because there's always somebody else that can replace you, do what you do as well or better than you, or will replace you eventually. I once worked for a boss who said, Will, let me show you an example. He said, you got a bucket of water. He said, put your hand in that bucket of water. Make a fist and put your hand in the bucket of water. So I did it. He said, now take it out. When I took it out, basically the water just covered up the spot where my hand was. The water was displaced with my hand there, but when I took it out, it was like nothing had ever been there. His point was, when you're out of the picture, it's like you were never there. There's no lasting impression that you had your hand in that bucket displacing the water or that you were ever a part of this equation. His point was, don't think that you're so important that you're irreplaceable or that there's no one like you. Remember, there was a guy by the name of Elijah with a J over in 1 Kings 19 who thought he was the only one. Listen to a little bit of what Elijah said, just a little snippet of his little speech to God. He's saying this to God, also a guy that needs to learn his manners about approaching God. That doesn't seem like there's a lot of humility here. That doesn't seem like there's a lot of politeness here. Elijah makes this case in 1 Kings 19.9. He says, then there came to the cave. He came to the cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And it said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Remember when I preached that sermon, what are you doing here? I was telling you guys, what are we doing here? What, what difference are we making? What impact are we having? How is our lives changing? Are we just hold, hold up in a cave, not out doing the work of the Lord, showing the grace of God, showing what Jesus looked like in the marketplace? What are we doing here? Are we doing God's will? Are we doing God's work? And if we're not, we need to get out of our caves and get back out there in the world and make a difference and let people see Jesus. Amen? So the Lord said to Elijah, dude, you have all this power. I caused you to have 450 prophets to go down. I caused an altar to go up in flames and the water with it. I've given you all this power to heal and to raise people from the dead like the widow of Zarephath's son. And all of this anointing that's on your life and you're in a cave. But cry it out loud, what a waste of anointing, what a waste of power, what a waste of, 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 of abilities, a waste of talents that I put on your life. So Elijah said, Lord, slow down, chill for a minute, let me explain my situation. He went on to say, I have been very zealous for you. That means I have been out there doing work serving he said for the sons of israel have forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed all your prophets and he went on to say and i alone i marked in my bible three times in bold things and i underlined it and i alone by the way he uses that phrase again down in verse 14 and i alone am left 
Don't ever assume your own greatness. Don't ever think you're the only person that can get it done. Don't ever think God's program won't advance without you. Don't ever think that we are as good as people say we are. And also never think that you are as bad as people say you are. We need to quit listening to people and listen to God. What does the word say about us? I am what you see. Amen. Didn't we sing that last Sunday? And I think there's a very, very profound truth to that song. So the Lord says this to Mr. Elijah. He said, Elijah, let me just speak to you for a second. He said in verse 18 of 1 Kings 19, he said, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, whose all of the knees of which have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, what he said was, dude, you think it's all about you? Martha, you think it's all about you? Mary, you think it's all about you? No, I have 7,000 people. And I don't know if that was an exact number or if that was a figurative number that meant I have an abundance and a limited amount of people that are still going forth in the name of God doing his work. Don't ever think that you have a monopoly on truth or a monopoly on God's ministry or work. We don't. We are replaceable. We are dispensable. We, we, can, be, we can be displaced in no time at all. So I am just so humble. Whenever God is using you, whenever God is blessing you, whenever God is doing a work in your life, whenever God is exalting you, even if he's chastening you, be thankful that he recognizes you, that he's using you, that he's interested in you, that you matter, that he cares about us. Even a spanking means he cares. Amen. He says he chases who he loves. So I'd rather get a spanking. At least I'm not invisible in his sight. God, don't ghost me, please. I want to matter. I want to count. Amen. So I, th I think that was a great lesson. Matter of fact, one more time before I go to lesson two, one more thing. I love this occasion in John. Make the, put this in your notes because I don't know if I sent this to you guys. In John 21, chapter 21, verse 20, there was a situation where Jesus was about to make his ascension back to the Father, and he was hanging out with the disciples. This is an amazing story. And Peter, big mouth Peter, although I love Peter because I say big mouth, but I'll say impetuous Peter, Peter that always has to weigh in on everything. John was hanging out with Jesus in verse 20 of John chapter 21. Watch this, guys. It says, Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back on Jesus' breast and uh, at the supper table and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? That was John, by the way. That was John. They call him John the Beloved. John the Apostle, John who wrote the Gospel of John, John who wrote the Revelation, okay? That particular John, the Bible says in verse 21 of chapter 21 of John, so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Let me just say something to you. Don't ever, don't ever, Go to the Lord comparing yourself to other people. Don't ever do that because you're not going to win that argument. Lord, what about Andy? 
Leave Andy out of this conversation. Don't let me don't let me tell you what Will Smith said to Chris Rock about Colin's wife. Lord, he said, Lord, what about Brother Cole? What about Sister Cynthia? Don't bring anybody else's name into your conversation with God, right? Leave them out of it. That's a dangerous place to be. And Peter stepped right into it. Peter said, but Lord, what about him? What about this man? He wouldn't even give him the courtesy of calling his name. He knows John. He's been hanging with John for three plus years. Let me say, be like me, say, what about this man? I know Rod's name. At least give him the dignity to say, what about Rod? <laughs> Peter, is so, Peter is so jealous or so full of himself. He said, what about this man? And the Lord just, I have never seen the Lord go here before. But the Lord sort of went in on Peter in, a, in an amazing way, in a nice way, but he got him straight, right? Here's what he says. He says, the Lord said to him, Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Woo! And the Lord actually did that. John would still be around because <laughs> Jesus hadn't returned yet. <laughs> We'd be seeing Apostle John walking the streets. So the Lord said, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? How does that change you? How does that impact your life, your ministry? You have a job to do. You have a calling, Peter. Stick with the knitting. Stay, in, stay focused. Do what you're supposed to do. Don't worry about other people. Quit comparing yourself to someone else. You have a calling. You have a job. You have a function. You have a gift. You have an anointing. You have a blessing. You have a ministry. You get it done. Don't compare yourself to the next guy. Woo. And guess what? Peter didn't say nothing else. That was end of conversation. That was a mic. No, I better not drop that mic. That was the end of that was the end of that conversation, right? That was it. I think that I think there was a lesson there for us. Let's not worry about grading on the curve. Let's not get infatuated with our own press reports. Let's not let's not believe that we're indispensable, and let's not compare ourselves to other people. Do your job. That's what Bill Belichick used to tell the New England Patriots. You just do your job. Of course, they ain't doing it right now. They ain't been nothing since Brady left. But that's another whole story. Okay, here's point number two. Walking point number two. Support other people in their callings. Support other people. I love this passage. You know, you know Martha told Jesus, tell her to come and help me. You know what? How about let Mary do what Mary is doing? And how about Martha? You do what you're doing. If you guys get this, if you guys pick up this book that I've been telling you about, some of the resource material that I got from Barbara Reed and her book, The Better Part, she talks about we don't have to pit Mary against Martha. It wasn't a competition, guys. It wasn't a who's who. It wasn't a Martha is better than Mary or Mary is better than Martha. We need people that worship. And we need people that work. And sometimes we're working and worshiping at the same time. It doesn't have to be an either or proposition. What Mary was, what Mary was doing was important. She was at the feet of Jesus. But what Martha was doing was also important. 
right? Jesus said in Matthew 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but he didn't say man can't live at all without bread. <laughs> I mean, we do need to eat at some point, right? We don't have supernatural bodies yet. We don't have glorified bodies yet. So we still need to eat. But I think what Jesus was saying was that we need to prioritize. Y'all with me? And I think the point was, is that what Martha was doing in serving food was important. He wasn't ever, in my humble opinion, criticizing what she was doing, only when she was doing it. And perhaps that she was trying to drag Mary into her orbit of misery because she was having problems getting together a meal for 13 hungry men. I'm down with that. That's amazing. I mean, I have a tough time fixing a cup of coffee by myself uh, sometimes. So, you know, I, I appreciate Sister Marie. But I'm going to tell you, this was not a situation of, of having too much to do. This is a situation of doing it at the wrong time and then getting upset about it and ragging on Mary about it. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 12. Put this in your notes because I don't know if I included it. Don't worry. Hang with me. I'm almost done. I know I'm not in my, within my 12-minute limit yet, but I'm almost done. Check this out. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. First of all, God gave us our positions. We are what we are because God put us here. If you're an usher, if you're a choir member, if you're a custodian, if you're a pastor, if you're the singer, if you're the head of the a culinary committee, if you're the head of the parking lot committee, if you're in charge of the snow removal, whatever your job is in the body, whatever your job is outside of the church, God gave you that job. It's okay, whatever it is, right? Oh my goodness, I'm not even done yet. Listen to what else Paul says. If, if all were a single member, where would the body be? That's a rhetorical question. We would be a wreck. If we were nothing but a kneecap, <laughs> if we were nothing but a toe bone, we would be a bad person. We would not be functional. It says in verse 21, he says, as it is in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the, the head. The head can say to the feet, I have no need of you. I mean, the feet, trust me, if the feet weren't involved, the hands ain't going nowhere. If the hands weren't involved, I don't care what the eye can see, it ain't doing nothing. All he can do is see, right? Next verse, please. And 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 don't let don't let you know our intestinal system shut down. It's a bad day for everybody. All the members are suffering, right? <laughs> okay. On the contrary, it is much truer than the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary isn't that good in other words the, the what we may consider the weakest most insignificant most unimportant most unskilled uneducated part of the body i think sister annie was telling us about a funeral she went to where the minister and someone else participating were talking about their their master's degrees their divinity degrees their doctorate degrees that's all good. But don't think that because you have all these degrees that no one else's contribution matters or it's not equally important. 
it goes back to my walking point number one. Don't become intoxicated by your level of importance. Don't become intoxicated by your greatness because all of us are part of God's body. We all have a specific function. Are you all with me? Boy, that, I, I'm just going to go to my next point because I'm, I, you know, I've been thinking about this message all week. When I, when I walk, when I work out, whatever I'm doing, I'm going over these points. And I'm trying to think, Lord, is this really necessary? Do I need to say this? Is this important? Because I want to really cut to the chase because I know, I, I know that we, we, we process what we want to. And sometimes things that seem superfluous or unnecessary, we sort of dismiss. And I hope that you guys process all of this in Luke 10, 38 through 42. It's only a short passage, but it's so profound. It's so loaded with good stuff for us. Don't become intoxicated with your own importance and greatness. Always make room to help others and support others as a member of the body of Christ and the things that they do, 1 Corinthians 12. And then my last point is that Jesus said to Martha, which I think is just as profound as everything else. He said to her in verse 42 of Luke 10, and I'll be sitting down, but only one thing is necessary. Always choose the better part. So there's good, better, best, guys. There's good, better, best. Serving, worshiping, and working are all, are all good. What makes, now listen, this is important. What makes worshiping and working more important is not the task. Watch this. This is important. It's not what one is doing because when one is called to work, when you're working to the glory of God, that is important. Whether you're doing work for your family or whether you're doing work in ministry, that's important. The Lord doesn't appear to differentiate the level of importance. Matter of fact, Paul made the statement in Scripture to the men that were standing on the hillside waiting for the Lord to come. He said, hey, if you don't work, you don't eat. A man that didn't take care of his family, according to Timothy and Titus, was not fit to serve in ministry. Right? So the Lord does not downplay work manual labor. The Lord does not downplay our vocation. That's important too. Don't think all the only thing that's important is work in the quote unquote spiritual realm. If you're not in ministry, if you're not in full-time ministry, if you're not a missionary or a minister or a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a superintendent of Sunday school or some other job where you're serving, that that that's that's more important. Than labor. What he was saying was that it wasn't that Martha's work was unimportant and that Mary's work was important. The point that Jesus was making was when it was taking place is what gave it importance. Not what it was, but when it was. When Jesus is in the house, it's time to worship. When Jesus is in the building, it's time to learn. It's time to listen, right? There's time to work, but right now it's time to learn. It's time to listen. And Jesus was just saying, what gives a particular task weight or importance is when it's done. Is it done 
inside of God's time structure? Is it done within God's will, within God's domain? That's what makes it more important. So he said, Mary has chosen a better part. You notice, you notice that Jesus didn't actually outline specifically what was the better part because he wasn't saying what Martha was doing was not good. The better part was when you're doing what you're supposed to do at the right time. The better part is the obedient part. The better part is the submission to God's timing part. The better part is not confusing ministry that we call ministry with God's will. You see, there's a difference between ministry and God's will. God's will trumps everything. God's will takes precedence over all other activities. Ministry, missionary, giving your body to be burned. You may sacrifice yourself, but if it's not what God wants, then I'm sorry, you died needlessly. We have to be obedient. God puts obedience at the top of his list. Abraham was attributed righteousness because of his obedience to God. We want to talk about being deep and spiritual and heavy and having gifts and callings and anointings and visions and, and prophecies and revelations and interpretations. How about we just obey what God says? Let's start there. <laughs> Let's start there. You want to be great in God's sight? Let's do what he says. Keep it simple. Let's break this thing down and take out all the extraneous stuff and just look at what God is really looking for. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to do what he says. Obedience is capable of being done by anybody from a child to a senior. Amen? That's what's important. She, he said to her, look, there's a lot of things you could be doing, but there's only one thing you need to be doing. And that is, you need to be listening, learning, and living God's word. That is the ultimate task. Matter of fact, if you look at Mary of Bethany, I'm, I'm almost done. You look at Mary of Bethany's track record, every time I see Mary of Bethany, I'm saying Mary of Bethany because there were so many Marys in the Bible. Half of them even go to our church. We got Mary Louise. We got Mary Ellen. We got, no, we got all these Marys. But every time we see Mary of Bethany, ladies and gentlemen, every time we see this Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. She's at the feet of Jesus here in Luke 10, 39. She's at the feet of Jesus in John eleven thirty two. 32. The Bible says she fell at his feet. And shared her woes. This is when she was telling her Jesus about the fact that her brother Lazarus had died before he arrived. If y'all see her in John 12, it says that Jesus, that she, Mary, came to his feet and poured out her worship. That's when she used the oil on him. I just, when I when I see when I see Mary of Bethany out, outside of uh, everywhere else, uh, every uh, really anywhere I see her, she's always at Jesus' feet. What a place to be, ladies and gentlemen, being at the feet of Jesus, which is symbolic of being in submission, being in obedience, being in, being in, being in surrender to him. You all with me? Oh, I'm just so moved by this lady. I'm so moved by this particular account. Job said it best in Job 23, said, I've treasured your words 
more than my necessary food. Martha was worried about food, but Jesus said, Jesus told the disciples over in John 4 when he was at the well with Samaria. Jesus told her, she said, he said, lady, he said, he said, guys, he said, listen, my food, you, you guys worry about getting me food. I ain't hungry like that. My food is that people getting saved. My food is to do the will of God. My food is that this lady is here at noon getting water because of shame and disrespect from other women in the village. A lady that's been in five bedrooms and none of them have been her husband right now and she's living with a man. A lady that's been shamed and scorned and dismissed and put down her whole life. A lady that doesn't even have a, a legacy that she can leave behind. A lady that's disgraced because she's capturing water at high noon, the hottest part of the day when no other self-respecting woman would be out there. I'm, this is my food. My food is to help this lady. That, that, guys, let me tell you something. S serving God, that's the ultimate form of ministry. Forget about these pulpits and these television ministries and radio ministries and all of this stuff. Serving God is doing what he wants you to do in that moment. And it might just be helping a lady that's been disgraced and shamed out of her neighborhood. It may be somebody that haven't had a hot meal in a week. It may be someone that needs a ride. Someone that needs just a shoulder to cry on. You may not have any money to give them, but you can just be a listening ear. Service is just obedience to God and let him use you. He will present the moments where he can be glorified. Amen. All right. I'm, I'm going to stop. Let me just say this thing. One last thing. One thing. I love, you know, when I see phrases like one thing, Jesus said, and only one thing is necessary. I, I just get, I just get blown away when I see phrases like that. I know I've shared some of these with you before, but here's a couple of them. I'm going to sit down. Psalms 27, Psalms 27, four says one thing, just one thing have I asked the Lord. Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things. You just need to reduce this to one thing. You know, stress is a result of just trying to balance too many things simultaneously. Stress is a matter of being anxious, allowing anxiety to override us. Stress takes us out of our rational mind, and it makes us think that we can do multiple things, multitasking on steroids. Stress is just trying to balance too many things at one time. That's what stress is. Stress is not allowing the peace of God. I love what uh, Philippians talks about us, talks about, and he says, be anxious, be careful for nothing, King James Version says. Other versions say, be anxious for nothing, but let the peace of God, which passes understanding, cover our hearts and minds. Amen? One thing, simplify your life, ladies and gentlemen. Simplify your life. If you don't take anything else from this sermon, I'm going to give you the Monday morning moment in a moment. Because the Monday morning moment, the Monday morning moment kind of covers that. But but simplifying, simplifying your life is a stress reliever. Simplifying your life, finding out what one thing is most important at that moment. That moment. Lord, help me to simplify my life so that I have your discernment, your wisdom to determine what is that one thing I need in that moment that brings you glory and brings me peace. One thing, not tons of things, not many things. 
as Martha was dealing with. Not many things. One thing, the Lord said, one thing is needful. Some translations say one thing is necessary. Hmm. Isn't this good? This is just so simple. You don't need a PhD in human psychology to come to this conclusion. You don't need to spend 12 weeks on a couch of a therapist or a psychiatrist. You don't need to go through tons of medications and antidepressants to get to this level of peace. You can get here through God's word, which is, last time I checked, free. 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 Here's another one. Here's another one. Gloria, Gloria and Marcus sang about this right up here on Good Friday night. They sang a song that was from this verse in Psalm 62, 11. I love this verse. For those of you that remember Christian Fellowship Center, Sister Lorraine Peeler shared this with me years and years ago, and I've never forgot it. It says, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that power belongs to you, God. God said it once. God gave me two ears. I heard that twice. I'm doing it. That means that you're supposed to listen. <laughs> God gave us two ears and one mouth. We're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. Here's what it says in Mark 10, 21. Looking at him, Jesus fell, felt a love for him. This is the rich young ruler. He fell a love for him and said to the rich young ruler, this is Mark 10, 21. He said, one thing you lack, son, one thing. He says, just go sell your possessions, give it to the poor, and come, you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Dude said, sorry, I'm out, I can't do that. He only needs to do one thing. Jesus didn't give him a list of things that he needed to do to be saved. He didn't give him a laundry list of things that he needed to do to internal, inherit eternal life. He didn't give him a list of things that he needed to do to be righteous. He just said, dude, you're rich, you're handsome, you're wealthy, you're famous, you're popular, you're moral. I just need you to do one thing and you'll get eternal life. Wouldn't we have jumped at that? We would have been ready to take no, what do I need to do, Lord? What can I do? And the Lord said, here it is. You don't even need to write this out. No notes necessary. Sell your possessions. Give all the proceeds to the poor and come and follow me, man. That sounds like three things, but it's really, <laughs> but it's really, but it's really, but it's really one, it's really one thing when you boil it down to it. It really means walk away from your old life and follow me in a new life. That's really what he's saying. The, the rest of it is just details. <laughs> but what he's really saying, the direction you're going, you're going south. You need to go north. That's all he was really saying to the dude. Okay, almost done. One more of these one, these one things. Here's another one. I love this. John and John 9.25 says, whether this is a blind man that was once blind, by the way, and the Lord healed him and gave him his sight back, and the, the Jewish religious authorities are interrogating him. They're giving him the Spanish Inquisition, 20 questions. They're just crushing him. Guy just had a miracle. And I would have said, y'all chill. I couldn't see till five seconds ago. Can I enjoy the trees for a minute before you grill me? Before you send me to the beggar's prison, can I just enjoy the landscape? So they asked, they said, they, they asked him, you know, he then answered them after they said, how did you get healed? Where did your uh, sight come from? The guy said, whether, they said, wasn't this guy a sinner? Here's what the man answered that was blind. He said, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Y'all know where I'm going next, right? But he said, one thing I do know. I once was blind, but now I can't see. 
The details are immaterial. His background is immaterial. Who he is is immaterial. I was blind. And now I see. If we could just reduce our life down to those simple basics, the one common denominator that Jesus is the one who saved me. He's the one that liberated me. He's the one that I was blind, but now I can see. It's because of him. In closing, Paul wrapped it up in Philippians 3.13 when he said, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do. <laughs> Paul just lays it down. Just one thing left. Forgetting what lies behind. Reaching forward to what's ahead. How many of you are just looking forward to heaven? Somebody, somebody said, I'm looking forward to heaven, brother pastor, but not today. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Amen. What a beautiful thing, though. That's our single focus, that laser focus, that narrow thinking of, Lord, I just want to be pleasing in your sight. I want to be obedient to you every day so that I can see your face in peace. Oh, and the Monday morning moment. I was almost about to sit down. Bakara, get ready to come up and sing for us, if you will, please, sweetie. The Monday morning moment is, what's the one thing? I'm going to give you guys this last week, and I'm sorry that I didn't. This Monday morning moment is a week old. This MMM Monday morning moment is a week old, but hopefully you'll get a chance to process it and just let it throughout this week, just let it marinate in your spirit. I wrote down, what's the one thing in your life that might be a blind spot for you? What blind spot might you have? And I've been asking myself this question for two weeks. You know, Lord, what, what's, what's in Will's life? What am I missing? What am I overlooking? What can I do better? What can I do that I'm not even doing at all? What can I improve on? What am I overlooking? Am I being remiss or reluctant or, or you know, just totally impervious to something? Am I being oblivious to something? Am I missing something that's right in front of me? Is there something in my life that I need to bring to the foot of the cross? If there's something I need to surrender, is there somebody I need to apologize to? I mean, other than Marcus, but is there anybody else that I need to apologize to? No, just kidding. But I think that that, that transparency, this, the passage I was going to use, I didn't use it, but it would have been Psalms 139, 139 um, when, when, when David said, Lord, search me. Search me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me, anything in me that's unpleasing to you. I ask you to expose that in me. Amen? Expose that. Show me that. If you need to show it to Rod to tell me, that's fine too. I just need that information, right? If it has to come from another brother, another sister, I just need to know, is there something in me that's a blind spot that I'm just totally missing and I'm ruining my life because I won't come to grips with this or I can't see it? Or I won't admit it if I do see it. Either way, I'm walking in blindness. Help me. Amen. Come on, McCarr, before I think of something else. <laughs> but this is just near and dear to my heart. I pray this message. 
If you all didn't listen to any of, what is this, October 10th month of the year. If you didn't listen to any of my other sermons, make sure you download this one. Okay, listen to this one, james122.org. Listen to this one. Listen to our podcast episode 207 and 2082. We just did them this week and they should be dropping Monday or so. I want you to listen to them because we talked a little bit about salvation to get to this point where this matters. We're just trying to simplify things to their basic common denominator. What gets me to heaven, right? That's really the most important question you can ask. Lord, what gets me to heaven? What gets me eternal life? Amen? You need to ask that question and find a way to answer it every day. Lord, what do I need to do today to get to heaven? Amen? I'm trying to ask that question. I don't know that I know the answers, but I'm asking the right question. Amen. Amen. I'm asking the right question as I see it. I'm asking the right question. Lord, help me to do today, not next week. Help me to do today what I need to do to get to heaven. If I were to die today, if you were to crack the sky today, how could I be assured I'm going with you? And if there's something in my life that's not going to help me get there, I want to know about it so I can confess it, so I can surrender it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.